Amen. I want to open this morning with a bit of a confession that Jesus offends me. I had the the privilege of growing up in church my entire life uh, to the point that sometimes I joke that I've been in church since nine months before I was born. And, And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, especially on a Father's Day like this, that I had a dad who cared about these things, who wanted spiritual things to be important in my life, who wanted the rhythms of being in church regularly to be foundational for me. And so I've heard the story of Jesus more times than I can count. Uh, I've heard lessons and sermons from the Gospels countless times. I've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over again. And yet every time that I read the Gospels, Jesus says or does something that just surprises me. He never says what I think he should say when he should say it, and he never does what I think he should do when he does it. If I had been alive at that time, I'm sure that I would have been at Jesus' elbow going, Lord, you need to step softly with these people. They're religious leaders. We need to make sure that we don't offend them. And there would have been other people that would say, Lord, just let them have it. They, this person is too far gone. Like, let's just be done. we got to get going. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. He never listens to me. He never does what I think he should do. Don't get it, right? And we see this. It's not just my inclination to do this. We see it all through culture. We see people who always want to highlight and filter what Jesus says so that it matches what they like and what they're comfortable with, and they minimize or they ignore the things that they don't like and they aren't comfortable with so that we treat Jesus like you can just dress him up in whatever outfit you want to. So if you can go... He was a great moral teacher, or he was a wise philosopher, or you might ask some of our neighbors, and they'll go, yeah, he was a prophet, but he wasn't the prophet. We have all these pictures of him, but when you read the Gospels, and when we come to a place like we do uh, this morning in Luke chapter 9, what we find is that Jesus is not a paper doll that we can just dress up however we want to. We can set him aside, and we can do with him what we want. We find that he's like a wild, roaring lion. He won't be caged, and he won't be tamed by us. He won't be corrected by us. He is the great I am, and what we find is that the great I am is. And so, as we open up Luke chapter 9, as Lauren read to us, we come to this demand, when we are confronted with just the audacity of what Jesus asks us. So, let's read again in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus uh, says, And he said to all, so this is Jesus, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, this is the kind of verse that if you've been in church long, you're probably pretty familiar with it. And it's actually to the point that it's filtered into culture. Have you ever heard anybody talk about going through a hardship or a difficult time? So they've got uh, a bad knee. They've got a tough financial situation. Their kids are rambunctious. They've got a job that's pretty difficult. And they go like, I could complain about that, but we've all got our cross to bear. It's the kind of thing that it's so familiar to is that we've started to lose what it meant, but it would have been very clear to the disciples. Because for the disciples, living under Roman rule, they knew what a cross was. They knew what a cross meant because they knew what crucifixion looked like. When 
the Romans came along, they took crucifixion from the Persians and they perfected it. They were experts at execution. And so they would take criminals who were not Roman citizens and say, we're going to make an example of you so that everybody knows what happens to those who cross Rome. So if you're an insurrectionist, if you're a murderer, if you cross us in any way we don't like, we've got something for you. And so they would take that person and they would lay the top of the cross, the, the cross being weighed probably 110 pounds, and they would lay it on their shoulders and then they would parade them through the street so that everybody could see what's about to happen. And when they got the person to the place of crucifixion just outside the city, that way everyone who enters and exits will be able to see this, they would strip the person naked, they would throw them on the ground, they would nail them to the beams of the cross, then they would hoist them up, and just hoisting them up on this uh, large cross into that hole so it stands upright is enough to dislocate the uh, bones already. And then they're in such a position that it becomes near impossible to breathe. And so what you have to do is push and pull yourself up on the nails that are through the wrists and through the feet, and then get a gasp of air, and then you drop back down. And you do that over and over again until you're too tired, and you can't go on anymore, and you suffocate to death. Unless... You were taking too long. And then you might have some Roman executioners who would come along with a sledgehammer and they would shatter your legs so that you can no longer push yourself up and you suffocate faster. And then, as your your dead, naked corpse is hanging from this cross, uh, baking in the sun, they leave you there. Because they want everyone who passes by to be able to see that's what happens to you if you cross Rome. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. We sometimes get this confused, but the disciples were crystal clear on what is happening. But notice also, he says, let him do it daily, constantly. We do it over and over again. We Submit ourselves to being daily brutalized, humiliated, paraded in front of everyone. And we die an awful, disgusting death over and over again. And this is the point where when I read this uh, verse as we were discussing the Just Jesus series, I turned to Sean and said, you gave me the good one, right? (laughs) Because you read this and you go like, I was feeling so good this morning. It's, been a, it's a pretty day outside. I'm having a good time. And this is just some good news. I appreciate that. But really, the question that should come to mind is, who on earth has the audacity to command this kind of thing? To command us to say, you come and die. If you want to be with me, submit yourself to being brutalized and murdered over and over again. And for us to be able to answer that, we have to look back just a few verses because we need to look at the identity of Jesus to see who it is who is commanding this kind of thing from us, right? So let's go back just a couple of verses, starting in verse 18. We see a little more context. Luke writes for us, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, that is Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that you're one of the prophets of old, 
that is risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Everything that's happened in Luke is building to this moment. From uh, Luke chapter 1, as we see the prediction of the birth of Jesus, we see him enter into the desert, uh, being tempted by the devil. We see his ministry in Galilee. All of, of Luke is moving to this moment. We're about to hit the hinge point of the entire gospel of Luke when everything is about to change for us. And it begins with this question. Jesus is by, uh, it seems like he's praying by himself. The disciples are somewhere nearby and he pauses and he turns to him and says, who do the crowds say that I am? And we see this pivotal moment where Peter finally speaks up after hearing, yeah, the crowds say, we, we, you're probably Elijah or maybe you're John the Baptist. We're not 100% sure. You might be one of the old prophets that we, we can never find in our Old Testament, but we know you're somebody, you're not just anybody, but then Peter uh, uh, pipes up and he says, you're the Christ of God, you're the Messiah, you're the one we've been waiting for. And it's interesting that Jesus responds in Matthew 16, very same situation, uh, Matthew 16, 17, uh, we see Jesus' full response to the confession. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus hears this and he affirms, he says, you're right, you have finally gotten it. So when we ask that question first, who is this who demands our lives? Because there's nobody good, there's no human being who is good who can demand that you die for them. You know the people who do that? David Koresh, Jim Jones, Charlie Manson, Kim Jong-un. Those are the types of men who uh, call for their followers. You give your life for me, I give you nothing. So when we come to Jesus and we hear him say, you come die for me, we go, well, hold on. Who are you? He is the Christ. He is our God. He's the only one who has the right to demand such a thing of us. He's the only one who is worthy to ask something so radical of us. But it's not simply who he is that he seems to ground this in, because let's keep going just a little more. Starting in verse 21, And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell, them, to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, this seems maybe a little odd, I just said we're coming to the most pivotal point in the whole Gospel of Luke. Everything is about to turn on a hinge. And Peter finally gets it right. The disciples who've been bumbling when you read the Gospels, you know that they have to be true because they tell so much on the disciples, right? How many times they get it wrong. Peter finally gets it right. And you would think this would be the moment of just absolute celebration. We're going to spend like a full three chapters just going like, Finally, we got a good answer here. Finally, you've gotten it. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody because I'm about to die. Why on earth would he respond with something like that? <laughs> I think more flippantly, we might just say like, well, mood killer. But we think about the expectations that the disciples would have had, that Peter would have had, that the scribes and the Pharisees would have had. 
what all of Israel would have had because when they heard Messiah, they thought of those places in the Old Testament where we were talking about a conquering king. The Lord is clear. He says repeatedly in Isaiah, I am coming and I'm going to clear the earth like shaking out a sheet. I am going to bring righteousness. I'm going to send my servant and he is going to do righteously and he is going to rule over all and Jerusalem is going to be the center. And so when they heard Messiah, they said, finally, here's the one who's going to overthrow Rome. Here is the one who is going to establish righteousness and justice for all nations and Israel is going to find their a place in God's plan finally as his chosen people. But they've ignored what the Lord also says about his chosen one. That he is going to suffer, that he is going to die. Remember Isaiah 53 talking about this man of sorrows who is going to be stricken by God, that it was the will of God to crush him. That people would not look on him as though he had any beauty or majesty, that we would be attracted to him. That he's going to be cut off from the land of the living. They've forgotten all of that because they're so focused on this is what's coming. And so when Jesus tells us, come and die, he's not saying, you go and give up your life. We send the pawns out first. He says, I go before you to die, and you follow me. So the picture is this procession of our Lord Jesus going out, bearing his cross, and we follow obediently behind him. I was thinking about this just as we were getting ready uh, B.J. had quoted from Matthew where Jesus says, Come to me, all you, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you go, how on earth? Because, Lord, obviously you haven't looked at my life. You haven't seen the things that I've gone through. You haven't seen the things that uh, you've uh, been uh, given to me. And the answer, it would seem, even in light of this, Jesus saying, come and die a horrible death, is our burden can be light because his cross was so heavy. So we see who Jesus is. He is the Christ and he is the one who goes before us. But we also want to see what is at stake here. Because notice what Jesus says after verse 23. So, uh, so jumping back down, to verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus says, what is at stake? So maybe you're convinced you're called to come and die. And maybe you're convinced, yes, Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus is the one who, who goes before us. But maybe you would go like, but Lord, I don't actually want to die. I like living. I like the life that I have. I like the rights, the privileges, and the, the good things that I get to enjoy. I don't know if I really want to do that. Is there maybe a middle ground? Like, maybe I can still get to heaven, but maybe my mansion will be a little smaller. Or, you know, maybe I'll be a little farther back in the line or something. But what we see Jesus say is, no. Very simply, either you follow me, either you die to yourself, either you bear your cross, 
or you lose your soul. And he says it very starkly, what good would it do you if you were the king of the world, if you had all of the money, if you had all of the pleasure, if you had everything you could ever want, if want and need were not words in your vocabulary, because every time you need something, there it is already. So what good would that do you if you enjoy all of that in this life, and then in eternity, you're cast into hell and separated from me? There is no way to skirt around his demand. And so, what do we do with this? Because it doesn't feel like good news. It feels like I'm constrained. I have no choice. Either I die or I die. But we see that what Jesus demands and that audacity to say, you come and follow me, is that he says, give me what you can't keep so that I can give you what you can never lose. Because he says in verse 27, but truly I tell you there are some who are staying here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And we can get into what exactly Jesus might be referring to there, but notice that promise, there's a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom for those who are following Jesus that never ends, that will never go away. And so now practically, what do we do in the meantime, right? Because if we say, as I did earlier, that bearing your cross is not merely, you know, I I blew up my knee and it just doesn't work the way that it used to and I guess I've got a cross to bear. If we say it's not simply enduring some hardship, it's something else, then what does that mean practically for us? Because let's be honest, as Americans living, uh, as American Christians, we live with pretty good safety and security. Unlike a lot of brothers and sisters across the world, places like North Korea, like China, like Afghanistan, Kenya, Uganda, and India, and Afghanistan, and places where you can be killed just for owning a Bible, where you can be arrested for gathering together to worship, as happens to Chinese Christians frequently. The chances, and I'm not saying that it's not ever going to happen in our country, but the chances right now of police breaking in and taking us all away to jail today is slim to zero. So it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to publicly witness to suffer for Jesus properly, right? I mean, or maybe the alternative is we should be jerks for Jesus. Maybe we need to go ahead and stick our finger in the eye of culture every opportunity we get and be so obnoxious that when they finally say, like, get out of here, we can go persecution, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed, right? That doesn't seem like the way of Christ either. So, what does that mean? I think that there's at least three ways that we can say, here's what it may look like to take up your cross and follow Jesus. First, it may be that we do need to face being unpopular and even unlikable as judged by culture because there are going to be things in culture that we have to say like, no, we can't get behind that. There are some things where we go, no, the Lord has spoken and we can do no other on this. We can't affirm the things you want us to affirm. We can't say like, yes, live your life and enjoy it however you want to. Go on and be happy. Whoever your true self is deep on the inside, regardless of uh, everything else, like go do that. 
There's always going to be those times when we're going to have to say, no, we, we can't. The Lord has spoken definitively about marriage. He's spoken definitively about gender. He's spoken definitively about how we're meant to order our lives. And it may be on a large scale where we have to uh, speak against things that are going on in culture, but it may be things that we have to speak against in our own workplace. Because if you work with unbelievers, it's probably not going to surprise you that unbelievers act like unbelievers. They don't follow the Ten Commandments. And so there are going to be things where you go like, all right, everybody else is doing this. They're doing something that technically could be considered stealing or technically we could consider this fraud or technically we could consider this like lying. Everyone else is doing it and everybody seems to be okay with it, but I'm going to be the odd one out. I'm going to be the one who says, no, I'm not doing that. We may face those kinds of things. But second, we should also look for those opportunities to do what Jesus did in everyday life, in those small, ordinary things. And so this is something that Dr. Bill Cook over at Southern Seminary has said before that I really appreciate, which is say a good word for the Lord in everyday opportunities. So this means when you're having a conversation with someone at work or across the fence with your neighbor and they're talking about uh, whatever hardship. I mean, let's just start with gas. (laughs) Being able to say things about, I'm praying for you. You know, uh, a proverb comes to mind. I used to use that frequently when I was still worked in an office because you'd be surprised the number of people who have never read the book of Proverbs and they, re- they live like they've never read the book of Proverbs. And so just very casually going, you know, that's interesting. I was reading the book of Proverbs and it says this. And, or when you're at Kroger and you're checking out and you're talking to the person asking, how are they doing? You would be amazed at the things that people will tell you. Complete strangers will share their entire medical history with you in line as you're like, I just came for milk and bread, and I now you're showing me pictures of your shoulder sh- surgery. I really like, okay, true story. <laughs> but the opportunity to go, you know, Miss Brenda, I'm going to be praying for you. And next time I come through the line, I want to hear how is your shoulder doing because I pray to a God who answers prayer, and I know that he's going to help you with this. Saying just a good word for the Lord, being a witness as you're just doing ordinary things. And then finally, and this is probably more for me than for you. We're being cognizant of where our identity is. Because notice in verse 23 again, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I struggle with finding my identity in everything other than being a disciple. I find my identity in what job do I have? How good of a job do I do at my job? I find it in the amount of money that I'm making or not making. I find it in what a kind of house do I own or not own, in the number of children we have or don't have. We all do these things where we start tying these, our identity to these external things and we judge ourselves as failures or successes based on do I have the things that I want that I most hold dear and I don't tie it to Jesus. And one way that we deny ourselves and take up our cross All that other stuff is not who I am. That's not my identity. Because think about this. In the warning of Jesus when he says, what good does it do you if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? If you forfeit yourself on the final day, 
on the day of judgment, there are going to be people that we see in our culture today who we would say they have everything. If I could just have the money of Bill Gates, if I could have just the fame of Chris Evans, if I could just have fill in the blank. And on the last day, there are going to be people who had everything that we want, that we envy so much. And they are without Christ. And in that moment, we will pity them above all else. And all the things that we don't have now, where we feel so small and so limited and so beaten down, the Lord Jesus is going to say, come into the kingdom I've prepared for you that never ends. To riches that we can't even conceive of. But the cost for us is are we following Jesus? And so, I invite you, if you're a Christian, if you say, yes, I'm following Jesus, then let's keep going. And let's stir each other up. Because I'm going to tell you, I slow down a lot. And it, sometimes it feels like my race as a Christian feels a lot more like a limping slowly into the kingdom of God. And I need all of you to help me keep going. And I need to help all of you to keep going. We belong to one another. So let's press in and let's help each other bear that cross. And if you would be here this morning and you would say, I don't totally know if I'm following Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian. You may be in a situation where you go, I walked an aisle decades ago. I prayed a prayer decades ago, but when I look at my life now and I look at the command of Jesus to deny myself and carry my cross, I don't know if that quite lines up. Then I invite you to come. Let's talk. Talk to Sean. Talk to Derek. Talk to me. Let's have a conversation about what does that look like. Let's figure these things out so that we can all obey Jesus in this because he calls us to die so that we can live.